Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with this week's host, Todd Benton. I'm Helen Hillix, your co-host. Today's topic, which side of us is in charge, the reactive self or the creative self, and what can we do about it? A conversation with Ronit Hersfeld. How often do you feel yourself in great conflict with two parts of yourself? The conflict might be about whether you should eat that brownie or not, work longer or go to yoga, keep your mouth shut and not answer your partner's snide remark, or thousands of other possibilities. And this is just on the personal level. What about collectively? What side of us is in charge there? We'll explore these questions and more with Ronit Herzfeld, an integral psychotherapist, social activist, and co-founder of the Leap Forward community. In this wide-ranging conversation, we'll discuss how Ronit's formative experiences, her education, her work in a locked unit of an inpatient psychiatric hospital, and her work as a therapist have helped her come to some compelling insights about these two aspects of ourselves. And together, we'll investigate how to rewire ourselves in order to bring out our capacity for compassion, generosity, and creativity. Sounds like a really exciting show. And now, Todd is going to do the inner revolutionary news. Todd? Yes. Hello, everyone. So excited to be here and have Ronit with us today. And Helen and I are really looking forward to having this conversation. Just one news story today. I, I was scouring the news. <laughs> it was hard to find something that felt revolutionary or interrevolutionary. There was a lot, you know, about. Uh, I just don't even want to get into it. <laughs> There's been such a crazy news cycle this last week. So this was submitted by Lizzie. Um, uh, this is from EcoWatch from May 4th, 2017. This isn't the first time we've heard a similar story, but um, Germany breaks record. 85% of energy comes from renewables last weekend. So Germany's low-carbon energy revolution turned another successful corner last weekend when renewable energy sources nearly stamped out coal and nuclear. Thanks to a particularly breezy and sunny Sunday, renewables such as wind and solar, along with some biomass and hydropower, peaked at a record 85%, or 55.2 gigawatts, and even came along with negative prices for several hours at the electricity exchange. Conversely, coal was at an all-time minimum. According to this uh, DW, their uh, energy organization, on April 30th, coal-fired power stations were only operational between 3 and 4 p.m. and produced less than 8 gigawatts of energy, well below the maximum output of about 50 gigawatts. Germany's ambitious energy transition aims for at least an 80% share of renewables by 2050, with intermediate targets of 35 to 40% by 25%. Uh, by 2025, sorry, and 50 to 60% by 2035. That just is awesome. <laughs> and I hope the market leads here in the U.S. too so we can uh, do similar things. I know Germany and China are really in the lead in terms of, like, it's not a, really a competition, but that they're really leading the way. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, China's um, greenhouse gas emissions is actually um, plateaued and is on the beginning to go down. So those are all really positive signs and um, not really related to what we're talking about today, but in a way it is because, you know, what's driving this um, 
what's driving this movement. Is it the uh, that side of us that's, um, you know, the uh, <laughs> which side in charge, the reactive self driving this energy revolution or is the creative self? I, I think it's the creative self. So today we have Renit Hertzfeld and uh, I'd like to just introduce you now and say we're thrilled to have you here. So say hello, Renit. Uh, hi, I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm hearing an echo, so, okay, it just went away. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, glad to be here, and, and most definitely the creative side is that aspect of ourselves that's driving the creative, right, initiatives that um, are igniting a new possibility. Absolutely. So, um, we have a, you know, a bunch of questions and a quite, quite a wide-ranging uh series of topics, but I, I think it's important for people to understand kind of like where you came from. And uh, I was, you know, I read your story on your website and was really um, intrigued and fascinated by your experience that you had when you were, um, was it four years old or five years old? It was yeah, four and yeah. a half, yeah, on the so, bus. Yeah. I think that would be a great place to start and um, and also hear about some of your other life experience. So people have a context for listening to you and listening to our whole conversation. I mean, they know a ton about Beth because, you know, she was the host of Interrevolutionary Radio for so long. But it's so interesting how similar you, you know, the things that you came to are, but from different backgrounds and different experiences. So mm. why don't we start there? Sure. Um Yes, yeah, so I, uh, I was born in Israel and, and um, lived the first 11 years of my life in Israel. Um, and at the age of four and a half, uh, one day I was going with my mom to visit my grandmother and sitting on the bus, bus number four, going from my street down to my grandma's house. And I've done that many times before. Uh, on this particular day, um, I was just kind of observing the person across from me. And there was an older man. He was really, like, old. A lot of wrinkles, I remember, and gray. And and I just, I, I, you know, as, as a little child would do, which is just kind of look without, you know, the the, um, the chatter of the mind. I was just kind of, like, in, in, so inquisitive about who he is. And as I looked into his face and really examined um, his features, um, I suddenly found myself inside of his body and seeing and experiencing the world from his, his eyes. And I mean, literally, like, really felt like I was inside this body and seeing all around me from his perspective. And um, and then I just returned back to my body and, and didn't really give it much thought and continued to kind of look around um, to see who else is on the bus. And there was a, a younger woman sitting to my right. And um, and I was I was caught by her beauty actually, and she was wearing beautiful jewelry, and I love her hair. And as I'm looking at her, I then found myself inside her body, looking and experiencing the world from her eyes. And I returned back to my body, and I, a, a thought bubbled up, or it occurred to me, and like, oh, so only the faces and the bodies are different. But the same thing is looking through the eyes. And and that was a profound moment in my life, which, of course, at the time I didn't realize. I mean, so, you know, children don't really process information the way grown-ups do. So it, it was just, um, 
it was a it was a knowing. It was a, it, it was an emergence of a knowing within me that actually we're all one. And it it you know the fact that we have different bodies and um, you know speak different languages or have you know different point of views or whatever. I really got that it didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was that we were all coming from the same source, and as such, we're all one. Mm. Wow. <laughs> how do you think? Ronit, how do you how do you think that informed your actions over the next fifteen years or so? You know, or twenty years during your growing up period. Well, um, while I was living in Israel, I mean, I was a precocious child, so you know, there we still had the the Israeli Arab conflict. There were a lot of um, you know um, incidents of of bombing and what have you. So. So obviously that was in the backdrop of, of my um, growing up, um, and and yet there was a sensibility and an understanding that that there is something off here. You know, I was I was very curious about the you know other side, quote unquote. And I started reading at a very early age, and in, in my desire to understand, um, and there was a certain kind of an appreciation that there is something off here I and, and it by the way that it also occurred at home with my parents who who had um, lost their um, firstborn when he was three years old to scarlet fever and and we didn't know that um, and and their tr- traumatic experience with us every time we got sick they would literally have what I later found you know realized was a post-traumatic stress disorder um, where they would literally have a hysterical reaction anytime any of the children got sick but to the point where you know, we were afraid to be sick. We, were, we couldn't cough. So we, we had to hide being sick so that our parents don't have a meltdown. And yet, you know, there was a part of me that understood that something is off. So there was a sense of like something is off. Something is not right. This is not a normal behavior for human beings to um, hurt each other, to attack each other, to have these outbursts. Um, and so reading, I started reading as much as I could. I started really connecting with people from from other countries, children in particular, and we, I would exchange letters from the school. Uh, there was a certain kind of absolute connection that I had to humanity. When I came to United States, so there was no television in Israel. When I came to United States, things actually shifted dramatically for me because for the first time, it wasn't merely reading about issues that are going on or conflict or hearing it on the radio, but it, suddenly it was visual. I could see on television, and I came during the, the Vietnam War and also during um, the uh, Civil Rights Movement. So there was incredible chaos in the United States. I moved to New York City. And and, um, and so watching what's going on on TV, watching at that time they were actually show the, the, the combat on television. Um, so I could see people being hurt, being stabbed, being blown up. Um, I could see black children and, and adults being hurt, kicked, uh, dogs, uh, you know, unleashed. And, and I began to freak out. I just didn't understand what was going on. Because for me, there was no distinction between me and that individual that's being stabbed in Vietnam or that individual that's being um, beaten by a, a policeman. And, and um, I began to withdraw. I began to, the pain was unbearable. And since I had nobody to speak with who understood my experience, I really began to shrink 
and and um, withdraw from any experiences because I couldn't I couldn't stop the pain. The pain was unbearable. And Can I, how old how old were you at that point? At that point, I was fourteen and a half, almost fifteen. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you think? Ronit, I'm a marriage and family therapist, which is basically the same as the MSW. Um, yes. And I've had some similar experiences um, in working in a, a psych unit and so forth. Um, I started, you know, back in the early 80s. Um, so I just wanted to give you a little background information that I can really resonate on a personal and professional level with some of your experiences. And I wonder if that experience that you had, your own traumatic experience of watching the Vietnam War and the uh, civil rights movement and the atrocities that you actually were visually seeing and not, not only emotionally and energetically experiencing that, I wonder if that helped you understand some of your later experiences in the psych unit of people that perhaps a lot of what they were experiencing was feeling oh. was feeling the collective pain and people just didn't understand that. Yes, absolutely. So when I went to work at Hillside Hospital, um, which at the time really was receiving the most amount of uh, NIMH money uh, funding uh, for research, and I actually went to the research department, which was kind of interesting because I wanted to understand what is the behavior, what's causing this behavior, which was very unusual for a social worker. Most of them were obviously psychiatrists, or you had the psychologists who were doing the testing. But and For uh, everyone out there, NIMH is the National Institutes for Mental Health, just for those that don't, you know, that yeah. aren't on the end. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, thank, uh, thank you for correcting or expanding. Um, and Absolutely. So when I, so, you know, the protocol was that I was to interview and diagnose the first break patients and first break, meaning it's the first time they're coming into a psychiatric facility um, with some kind of a psychotic breakdown and or a severe depression. But generally, the depression had a psychotic features as well. And psychotic meaning delusional or hallucinating. And uh, so my primary responsibility was to actually diagnose them. I was trained to, to, to be a diagnostician. And then my secondary was to see if they belong in a particular study so that we can actually see which medication would work best. And um, in, in this regard, I was really given an awful lot of freedom initially to spend a lot of time with them because we wanted to retain them in the, in the study so that we can see over time the effect of particular medications versus other medications. And absolutely, but this was a natural thing. So I, I would start speaking with them. First, I would do the, you know, I would, I would do the assessment. But in the, in the context of the assessment, they would start sharing their, their pain and their sharing, um, their, their, their sense of depersonalization, their, their sense of, of disconnection, um, the sense of, you, you know, like the evil, quote unquote, in the world that they experienced, and then listening to the auditory hallucinations and listening to the content of those hallucinations, really observing the content. I very much got it that, that they had they had a certain kind of wisdom and a certain kind of intuitive, um, you know, kind of like knowing that, and they were sensitive, like I was sensitive, yet I, I was able to kind of shift my sensitivity and move into some other ground of being where I could tolerate the pain around me. They were not able to. And because I was able to ex- understand them so completely, 
um, I began to speak with them on their level and actually began to uh, work with them on their hallucinations and delusions from a place of um, partly psychoeducation, explaining that there's neurotransmitters in the brain that are causing these kind of delusions and it's not really happening to them physically as they experience, but that symbolically they're very intuitive and very wise people and, and they're hypersensitive and so that their system is acting out their pain. And, and, and because of that, I actually, a new form of treatment was developed um, and that was what we call psychoeducation. And I was the only person in the hospital who was doing that. Nobody else was doing it at the time. They were basically, you know, given medication and nobody would hardly look at them for longer than two minutes a day. And I spent every day with every one of them at least an hour and with their families where they came in. And, 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 and because of that, the rate of recidivism, especially for first break, which is the first, you know, kind of psychiatric um, experience in the facility that you have, because of that, the rate of recidivism with my, um, you know, clients, customers, I didn't call them patients, um, was was very low. They really were able to constitute. They, I gave them a ground of being. So, yeah, um, it was very much the case, Helen. And don't you think that what you were doing, you know, the, the, you're calling it psychoeducation, but don't you think what you were really doing is giving them the idea that the pain is in the collective that the pain is in the collective consciousness and that they were just sensitive enough to tap into it and didn't know what to do with it. And it, in, insofar as that was told to them, that they were then able to say, I'm not just some weirdo, psycho person. I'm a person who has certain sensitivities that I need to learn to manage. Yes, yes, absolutely. I use the word psychoeducation because later on it was officially called psychoeducation right 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 i understand but i think but absolutely i mean to me i was just i was just being human there was a a human to human interaction in terms of helping to bring meaning to their experience and ground it in something real well and exactly in something real and i think there is such little understanding of collective consciousness in our society, we don't, we're not educated about it, we don't think about it, we don't think about the impact of it, you know, even though we do talk about it in an indirect way, like, you know, the influence of Madison Avenue on the way women look at their bodies, sure. you know, that's that's the collective consciousness, you know, the collective consciousness of ego that feels like this is my country and you don't belong here, but we don't talk about it in terms of collective consciousness, and I think we're really doing a disservice to humanity by not doing so because it does help us to see how we're being impacted by things that we're not even aware of, just as were your clients in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% in agreement. And and much of the work that I'm doing with Leap Forward is all about the collective consciousness, frankly. So it is. It's about un- the, un- the universality of our experience you know, and, and that yes. how we can collectively shift our perception and our experiences. But we need to, you know, first get clarity about where we're being hijacked, you know, where we're being brainwashed, where we're being programmed on the individual and the collective level and, and, and bombarded with that, um, where we, yeah, we become, you know, kind of fused um, collectively. And, and yet how we can also awaken, you know, within the individual, the collective. Cool. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and you're so much in alignment. I know 
Todd talked about that in the beginning, that your story mirrors Beth's story in so many ways. In fact, she had scarlet fever as a young child and has been pretty disabled all of her life because starting with that very weakening condition. I just think that's so interesting that you had, both of you had that in your families. Um, I actually had it myself as well. Um, so, yeah, I also had scarlet fever. Wow, wow. But, but we caught, they caught it early, and and, um, and I got the medication, and I was fine. Yeah, but, so, yeah, but you can imagine what happened when I got scarlet fever. I mean, my parents just went ballistic. And, and it is, a, it, it, there is something to be said about um, the experience of trauma early on this way. In both yes. things. Yeah. You understand it in a way that other people might not and you resonate and and have compassion for it um i'd like for to make that segue even though i know you have many other fascinating things about working with the european parliament and the dalai lama you know regarding the tibetan people and so forth but i i I want to see exactly what you are doing now and, and you you kind of alluded to it you know that you're working with the collective consciousness and the, the three principles of the innerrevolution.org are oneness, which you've talked about already, mm-hmm. account, accountability, which uh, I think you've also begun to, to address in terms of we, we need to be able to see how we're being impacted, where we're being impacted, and to know that we're being impacted and that we're responsible for the impact that we're having. Okay. And so is everyone else. And then mutual support which yeah. I, I think you also integrate into your work. So I'd like to have you segue into talking about, you know, how those principles and, and the experiences that you've had now have come together in this integrative uh, psychological and social activism. Yeah. Um, so definitely that the oneness is the ground of being, right? I mean, that's just the, the innate innate knowing the the, the the just the beingness of it so so that's the primary drive and that's been the primary drive for everything right. everything right. I, I, I in whatever way I show up in the world it's it's always about the unity and the oneness of it all right. and it, it's 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 someone you know it's it's a it's a, a a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant or it's just a stranger on the street so so I don't have any strangers, quote unquote. You know, it's like <laughs> right. There's an automatic. I just break that wall. Um, and and so my work um, over the last 35 years have been, you know, the greatest uh, kind of laboratory, right? For for my appreciation, and understanding the way the human um, uh, being operates, the way we function, the way we behave. Uh, and, and it was driven by my deep desire to uh, understand why is it that we are so destructive and uh, towards ourselves and each other when there's so much love within. And, and just really, really seeking to appreciate um, the, the mechanism behind it, what is going on, and, and how do we bring out the love. And, and it was really in the mobile crisis unit, in the psychiatric crisis and trauma unit that I worked for, yeah, uh, in the, the part of the Department of Mental Health in New York City, um, that a lot of a lot of my um, uh, I want to say knowledge, but you know it's beyond knowledge. It's it, it's my experiences knowledge. It's my, my my intuitive knowledge got clicked in, and what I realized is that it, 
no matter where I went, and, and, and typically it would be like somebody calling us on the phone in the office and saying my, 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 you know, my wife is going to commit suicide or, um, you know, my, my uh, son is doing drugs or whatever the issues were, like the, the most painful situations. Or a lot of times, you know, a violent person that, that's uh, about to hurt someone. And what I learned when I went there in every situation I, lo- I saw the reactive self, if we're going to go to that part. I saw that fear, fear was ever-present. And in the fear, people were reactive. They were just kind of flailing. They were, they were, they, they were either protecting themselves through defensive, through fl- fleeing, or they were attacking. And, and it was the fear that was causing a lot of, a lot of um, the, the behaviors that were so destructive. And what I learned is if that I can create a space where I lower the volume on the fear, where I am entering the human being in their heart, and they feel me feel them, and they feel gotten by me and heard by me, and they feel validated in whatever it is that's going on for them at that moment, even if they're coming at me with a knife, which happened, you know, even when they're coming at me with like a, a, a stick, they're about to like hit me over the head. If I moved toward and just looked up leadingly and said, what is hurting you? What? What? What do you need right now? I saw like the fear just disappear and emotional devastation, pain, sorrow, um, you know, just breaking down in front of me, falling on their knees, you know, to their knees and just crying and I and and because they were touched by love they were they were they were seen and I I did not react to their reaction and so I really began to hone that in and 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 learn how to enter people with different people you had to enter different ways they're not all we're not all the same in terms of our entry points but we're all the same in terms of what we want which is to be loved which is to be heard Right, and so that helped me to appreciate. Okay, if I can, if I can, you know, help lower the volume on fear, then the human being becomes vulnerable, and then after, and then if the human being becomes vulnerable, and then I nurture and come with love and support, then the human being becomes loving. <laughs> so, so lower the volume of fear, vulnerability, vulnerability, acceptance, acceptance. Open openness, open mindedness, open heartness, and then, and then really creativity and 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 love, um, flowing from them. So that became something that I really recognized and understood, and I was able to do it in family therapies and organizations. But with the neuroscience, about nine years ago, I so all along I was thinking, okay, the fear is coming from the child. It's coming from the ego and the child, and and the vulnerability and the fragility of the child. But nine years ago, I I I. I you know, kind of like stumbled into neuroscience and begin to really study it. And, and then I recognize, wow, it's not only the ego and the psyche, but actually we are programmed, we're wired to be fearful. And that, that it's, a, it's a survival mechanism to be distrusting, to feel threat. To, right. Yeah. Right. And that, that it's really a combination of both. And that I need to really, you know, begin to reflect and, and educate people when I'm working with them about how their brain is wired to perceive threat mm. because that's, that's how we survive as a species. And so we well, are, yeah. It, that, that relates back to 
the uh, understanding you had with the psychotic patients yeah. is that, you know, once you have this insight that you can share with them that this is normal. You know, you were made this way. You're wired this way. There's nothing wrong with you that you have fear or that you're reactive. It's it's a, a normal part of you that diminishes that reactivity and defensiveness considerably. Normalizes it. Yeah, and, and it makes them again. You join them in the oneness. Exactly, exactly. So joining them in the oneness and, and, and making it, we're, we're okay, you're okay, there's nothing wrong with you, you're not broken, we're not broken. Right, right, it's, you're, it's understandable. Yeah, and so those, so now, so now I understood the fear from the neuroscience perspective, the biological, biophysiology, and I understood it from the psychological perspective, and then, I, and then it was a matter of educating and, and creating a space that's safe, and so that brings me to leap forward. So what happened was, I actually stopped private practice about um, three years ago, and I began, or four years ago, and I began to, you know, listen for ways in which I can create spaces for people to feel safe and um, places where we can actually be open and, and vulnerable and transparent with each other in the most raw way possible. I mean, like, literally just, like, showing my deepest, darkest shadows and being okay with that and, and being in an environment that says, you have that, oh, mine looks this way. And so that's where the leap forward got birthed. And we began to, um, we began to do what we call the one-on-ones where I would, I would you know, um, communicate with individuals and they were living in different parts of, of the world. So, you know, somewhere in California, somewhere in Europe. And, and, and we began these meetings on a weekly basis, two hours um, where we Zoomed together at the time it was Skype, it was before Zoom at first, and we would, uh, and then individuals would share an issue, and uh, an individual would share an issue, and I would literally process and do the work, uh, and a lot of neuroscience and a lot of psychology, mostly education, mostly the humanity aspect of it, the normalization aspect of it, but of course I also have the sensitivity and sensibility of touching human beings in ways that they feel touched in a way that they've never done before. So I would be able to trigger certain parts of them in this process that would then shadow them even deeper and deeper and deeper while everybody else was watching. And as people began to experience the, um, the experience that I'm having with that individual, of course, it began to, they began to experience it themselves because of the universality of our emotions. And so we started with that. I would do a 20, 25 minutes, and then we got to a place where, okay, let me pause, and everybody else in the community, and at this point, there's about 10 of us. We're doing it twice a week, so there's 20 of us. Um, so 10 of us are at any one you know, uh, session, and I'm speaking one-on-one, and then the others will come in and share their own experiences, and we do that three or four times. Um, and... What was beautiful and what is amazing about this is, first of all, the level of intimacy I can't even begin to describe. One has to experience it. And Todd, I know you're coming next week. You will experience it. The level of intimacy is unlike anything you've ever seen. I mean, I don't know about you, but certainly not in our public world um, in any meaningful way. But the other piece is that when we have the flies on the wall, so we can have strangers. So I'll meet somebody like Todd or anybody else, and and I can feel that they are actually vibrating on this frequency, and they're really excited about experiencing it, and knowing that I can't really describe this. This is an experience one has to have, 
And so we invite these flies on the wall. At first, we started with only one fly, and then it was two, and then it was two. <laughs> we got five or six. So these are strangers coming to the community. Again, strangers with quotation mark. And it did not shift the level of intimacy and rawness by a millimeter. And not only did it not shift it, but the people who were flies on the wall, when it came time at the end of the session, we allow people to... Um, to um, share their own experiences, they begin to open up in ways that is uncanny. Um, and because of the permission, right? Because we created the space of, of the humanity of it all. And yeah. so, yeah. And so I that- just wanted to share just real briefly that, you know, Beth has a lot of the same gifts that you have, the intuition, the ability to be inside other people. And we actually know exactly what you're talking about, I think, Todd and I, because we yes. have many, many, many experiences just exactly like that. And we've we've had recent events where people that, you know, just come in basically, quote unquote, off the street and the same have had the same kind of experiences that people are sharing very, very deep things that they say they've never told other people and, and you know, crying and, and feeling so healed by our level of, of willingness to be completely transparent and share all of our deepest secrets in a public way in front of strangers. And it's it's so true. And I wish it's so exciting for me to hear you talking about what you're doing and have it be so similar to what we're doing, because it just shows me that there is an awakening happening around the world. And people have had, you know, maybe there are a, 2,000 other people who have had the, those psychic awarenesses as little children and then gone on to be healers in the way that you and Beth are. And it's just so exciting because th this is exactly what we need to replicate that. You know, it can't just be you and Beth and these other 2,000. We all have to begin to awaken that willingness to be transparent and open in front of others and, and believe that no one is a stranger. Uh, yes, and, and that is one of our intentions. So the Leap Forward community, and we call it Leap Forward because it's leaping from the amygdala or the reactive self into, you know, forward into the prefrontal cortex. Uh, that's the creative self or leaping from the heart because the heart is ruling now and not, um, you know, the mind in, in, the, in, the, right. in the Western societies. Right. And... Um, the intention for us, and we came up kind of with the idea, the concept of the Mandela Malala, you know, revealing the Mandela Malala within, that when we created safety, when we, when we lower the volume on the fear and the survival mechanisms and really see that we are actually safe and not only safe, but we can thrive and, and there's abundance here, but, and love is the source of that abundance. If we operate from that perception of reality, then what happens often is people's innate wisdom and their innate, what we call the creative impulse of the divine spark begins to bubble up in ways that they've never heard before. And suddenly they hear their genius, their intuitive um, brilliance that they came here to share in and, 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 and um, uh, contribute to what we call the garden of we, the planet Earth. And so that's a very intentional um, goal of ours is to not only create the spaciousness for, of course, for us to feel one and to feel the, the interdependence and interconnected and to feel safe. And, but in this process, we actually are creating a clearing for each and every one of us 
to begin to listen to our inner inner directive and take ownership of that and bring that into um, uh, everyday manifestation. Mm. And what are some of the, what are, what are some of those inner directives? It's it's it feels um, kind of uh, organic. Is that I mean? Is there? Are you listening to like? Are you? We have a process. I'll just share this in the inner revolution. We call checking in. Where we're checking in for higher guidance. And it could be if you relate to God, then it could be God. It could be the universe. But it's it's a moment of pausing and reflecting, and you know, asking yourself a question and trying to feel the energy of. You know, what is for the highest good of all is one of the questions that we might ask about, you know, whatever. If we're eating a sandwich, you know, is it for the highest good of all for me to eat turkey today? Or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, to, to try and be guided moment by moment by that, like you said, that inner voice or the wisdom or whatever you want to call that. So I'm curious, is there, what's the process for people as they leave these groups? Uh, do they, because um, I'm seeing a lot of ways that we could collaborate together and I'm really looking forward to being part of that meeting next week but um, I I, I hope that's clear what I'm asking you yeah no it is clear it's different from what I um so I want to just distinguish what I was referring to what you're referring to so the the aspect that you just brought up is what we call mindfulness okay And and that is what we do is we check in with ourselves and we say what time is it now where am I here who is who is driving this vehicle? Who is showing up, reactive or creative? So, and, and they have guidelines with which to be able to distinguish which aspect of themselves is showing up. So that's mindfulness, and that's moment to moment, moment to moment. The other aspect that I was referring to is actually um, the, the, um, my belief and, and, and my you know, experience that each human being is born with a divine gift um, and that that gift very often is suppressed in childhood because um, society, especially, again, in the Western world, I'll only speak about, um, because, you know, you've got to go through the school system. You've got to, like, make a living. You've got parents want to protect their children, and so they're going to, you know, guide them into what they think will be best for them. So when a child expresses certain kind of gifts or talents at the age of two, at the age of two and a half, three, four, those get suppressed. Yeah. And, and so I'm referring to that. We, okay. we, yeah. We're reawakening. So, you know, it could be anything from, you know, like designing and engineering to um, understanding ecosystems and and what and it could be financial markets or it could be technology like my my husband David is 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 a whiz in technology I mean there's just like this there's a it's a wisdom that's beyond the norm right yeah and and that each and every one of us possesses that divine brilliance and it it divine makes it like miraculous it's it's like my mind is my ability to connect with humanity and feel that's my divine essence so what we do is we create a clearing for people to begin to bubble up and find out what their divine essence is and so for example we have a member in our community who is uh she's a as a black urban female 25 years old and um you know what she's awakened to over the last six months of working with us is is her her drive to to bring voice and power into women of color, mm. and that she wants to be an organizer. And she so now she's starting to create 
these um, workshops and these, because um, she holds these spaces and women of color come and they talk about what does it mean to have, what does it mean to be beautiful, you know, like in a white culture, what does it mean for you as a female to look beautiful when none of the visuals out there look like you, when you have a different kind of hair and you have different kind of lips and so, so that's what she's doing. Um, we have someone else who is um, a musician and, um, and an artist, and now and he's in Mallorca. So now he's converting his area where, like his backyard, he's, he's, he's creating a space where, um, and it's funny, he was talking about the caterpillar coming in to like flatten his area outside of his house, where he's going to create like a dance space where he wants to bring in people to come in and dance and dance in a way that they can just feel complete abandonment and release emotional issues. And it will be done to release emotional issues so that they can actually connect to their higher self, their creative self, and find what they're creative. So, so that's what's happening with the community. Like people are literally, that clearing creates that, that passion. We call it your fragrance. Cool. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. Can, I'd like to go in a little bit of, of, of a different direction, Ronit, and ask you about uh, the the things that you're describing are small group experiences and perhaps some large group experiences. I, I wa- wonder how philosophically you are connecting what you're doing to the collective consciousness. And I know that you have worked, for instance, like I said, with the Tibetan uh, about the Tibetan people with the European Parliament and so forth, and I, I, how do you see what you're doing as impacting the collective? And are there other things that you do that are more directly working with the collective, and I mean the whole collective? Yes. Um, so it's a it's a really good question, and I. I have actually come to a place that's new for me. Um, And it has to do with my refinement of my essence. Uh, And today we had a a one-on-one session. Actually, we ended up not doing a one-on-one, but we ended up spending the whole two hours because I kind of connected to a new revelation within me. And what I have learned and what I'm learning, what emerging and what's emerging in me is that there is a sense that um, I have that I want to make visible in other people. And, and I'm, I'm actually calling it sensate. Uh, and I just came up with it um, because, and it was where, where what I am doing is I am bringing into an experience. So up until now, I've been working with individuals. And while I'm sharing and I'm, you know, um, connecting and loving and caring, I have not really like help, actually began to embody for them my experience to see if I can help create and open up this, the sensate that I have. And it, it occurred to me that from an evolutionary point of view, this is my role. This is, so so how, do I, how do I impact the collective? By bringing in another, so we have the sense of, you know, sight and, and olfactory and auditory, etc. And I am talking about the inner eye sensation that is literally, a, that picks up vibrational frequencies 
And I don't know exactly the physics of it, but I do know that I'm picking up energy and frequencies. And it's another sense that we don't talk about. You know, I mean, we kind of talk about like chakras. We kind of talk about auras. But I want to bring it out of this esoteric and out yes. of like, the hidden. And, and so this whole two hours today, they went crazy with it. They asked a million questions. It was all about how do we, first of all, let's start talking about this. Let's start talking about the sensate, this other sense that we have that we never talk about. And let's start like dwelling in it, inquiring into it, refining it, you know, discerning it. What is it? How is it? So, so that was one piece that, that I got that, like, that I'm bringing into the collective. And the other piece was more personal. And it was my connection, very deep connection over the past few months, but really getting crystallized for me more and more is that I can tap into, I don't know, um, I call it the future, but it may not be the future because there may be no time. So, I'm, But I'm calling, I'm calling it the future because it doesn't exist in the present of humanity. Um, but it may exist right here, right now, and it's a matter of like tapping into and having the right, again, sensory, you know, perceptual feel to be able to tap into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I, what I'm able to... What I'm able to recognize is how to bring the future into the present. And, and I mean it, you know, and again, I'm using the future in, in, in parentheses only because it's where I think the evolution of humanity is going. It's probably existing simultaneously at this moment. Um, but that I am going someplace that I've never been before. And it's new. It's brand new for me. Um, but I know that I can, I am experiencing something that wants to, that is, that emerged already. It emerged already, and it's my my responsibility is to to make it manifest here. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a midwife. <laughs> yeah, and to hone it myself. So the caring economy is is something that actually came from that space, and I literally went into you know kind of like a wormhole, which I've never done before in my life. So this is why I'm saying this is new kind of experiences that I've never had. And I don't even understand, you know, fully like, I, I mean, I just, I don't need to understand. I just kind of go into it. But, but the whole idea of the caring economy. So taking the 20 members of the Leap Forward community and saying, you know what? We're like, we, we, we know that the, the, the money is, 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 a, is the value that's placed on money is completely disproportional to its value. That money has no value in its own right. And, and we know that and we want we really are clear that we want to shift the energy around money and, and make make you know bring currency into love, currency into integrity, accountability, generosity, interdependence. How can we create that? How can we diminish the role that money plays in our in our lives, in our collective lives? And, 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 and how can we possibly bring that into the collective? And so we came up with the idea, or I came up with the idea during this wormhole thingy, um, and they recorded me because I knew there was something happening, and I, 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 I just knew I was going to channel something. And the basic uh, concept, and it's more than a concept, we actually have implemented it for the last three months, is that each one of us has abilities and skills and talents, and then each one of us has needs, you know, needs that we, 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 are, we need fulfilled. And what if we created a platform where each one of us would communicate what our talents and abilities and skills are? We call them blessings. And we communicate what our needs are. And then since there are 20 of us, on the average, people put four to five 
uh, of each. So we ended up with about 80, 90 needs and bless and blessings. And now what we're doing is we are like fulfilling each other's needs. And we're, 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 we're you know, giving our blessings to each other just because. There is no tit for tat. Nobody keeps track. And we're just taking care of each other, including it by the sounds, way. It sounds, it's so exciting. It sounds so much like something that, that uh, we're uh, promoting in our community, which is the potluck revolution, uh, which is, you know, you, what do you do at a potluck? You know, yes. you bring, you bring what you have as a gift yes. and everybody comes with their needs and they take whatever is there that has been brought. It's exactly yes. the same idea. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. And again, it's just amazing the synchronicity. Uh, and, you know, we have about 20 core people, too, 22, something like that. Uh, and that's also interesting. And I wonder if these communities are being replicated. Do you have that? Have you come across other communities besides ours that are about that same size, that are working on, you know, oneness, accountability, and mutual support? And of course, that's mutual support is is offering what you have to the whole. Yes. And then the whole offers what it has to you. It's not tit for tat. It's, right. you know, it's, it's exactly what you described. Yes. Have you come across other communities across the world that are doing the same thing? We have not on the level of rigor that we're talking about, no. I mean, we, uh, I've come across communities that um, are willing to go, I mean, if we were talking about, like, the, the, you know, the, the levels and, of, of depth, uh, and if there's, you know, just hypothetically, there, you know, the 20 levels. I, the most that we've ever discovered is people willing to go like five levels in terms of depth and in terms of authenticity, and in terms of sharing. So no. And when Todd shared about, you know, your community, I, I came back to David and Eric, who are, you know, our, our partners, um, and and I was just so excited. I said, I, I you know, I mean, we need to experience this. <laughs> we, you know, it, 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 it sounds amazing. So, but no, and by the way, we have been around the block. That is, we've sought, we've, we traveled last June for a month going to some of the major communities in, in Europe. Um, and we did, we did, we found that there was a, a certain kind of, there is a, there's a thread of connection, you know, like there's a, yes. Yes. We found similar things. Yes. We found exactly the same thing. You know, we were part of a a group. Well, I was mostly connected to a group in Europe that's, you know, trying to change the world. And there were lots of, lots and lots and lots of different groups that came to this one central group. And I found the same exact thing that they, they really welcomed what we had to offer because, nobody was really intervening in the process of the people and, and and helping them try to get more real and more transparent and deeper. So it's it's just so exciting to have found someone with whom we resonate that feels so aligned with those same principles and commitment to that rigor, as you said, you know, that real commitment to uh, doing the hard, hard work. Yes, and one of the things that we do, so David, Eric, and I are kind of the three, you know, kind of founders, um, and and so our um, mission statement and the mission statement for Leap Forward is to engage with abandon in highly challenging and meaningful activities in the service of refining our 
loving, kind, generous, interdependent, flowing, peaceful essence. And <laughs> we are not seeking the outcome out there. Our yeah. commitment is to show up in here in the moment. But we will take on really challenging activities because that's where we're going to be stretched. That's where we're going to be challenged. That's where we're going to be afraid. And that's where we're going to be able to put the mirror up and reflect ourselves in each other all the time. And that's what we do. And we are in, so in the community is part of the caring economy. And now we are taking the whole community into this level of not only like, you know, I care about you and your personal life and your development and your growth. Come in and let's do projects together and let's see what buttons we push for each other. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. We got about five minutes or four minutes remaining. And um so maybe now would be a good time to, Helen, to let us know what's happening next week, and then we can come back and finish up. Okay. Right. Yeah. Per- perfect. Perfect. Okay. Next week's show is Cooperative Businesses Are Not Socialist Propaganda. They Are American. Join our guest, Estevan Kelly, Executive Director of the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, to hear all about it. The innerrevolution.org supports an evolution in our economy away from the disproportionate distribution of wealth to an economy and society where individuals' needs are met. How can we do this? Estevan Kelly has some answers. As an important leader and creative force in a solidarity economy and co-op movements, Estevan will share the reality of what it takes for the economic model to transform. Let's challenge ourselves to move beyond our ego's view of life where only my needs matter and be inspired by the cooperative movement. Oneness, accountability, and mutual support, we can create a different world. And we're looking so forward to that. And it's so interesting after talking about the caring economy with Ronit that we're going to be talking about you know, actual ways that we can spread that idea so we're really excited about that next week and chris reese will be the the host next week and i will be her co-host wow i'm so glad we connected i mean we've got uh three minutes remaining and it's like i feel like i could talk for another you know two hours it's just we're just getting started well we have we have the eternal now which we will yes by the way, Esteban Kelly sounds really, really interesting, and it's very much up our alley. So one of our biggest objectives is actually to, you know, create a whole, uh, create new currencies, and um, and what you know what he's talking about and what he's um, working on, I think would be really exciting for us to listen to. So thank well, you. Well, great. Listen to our to listen to our show next week. You know, one thing I'd like you to do, um, Ronit, as a closing, is to leave our audiences with some ideas about what they can do, you know, what actions they can take on a daily basis. Uh, uh, you know, obviously mindfulness is, is a wonderful tool that, that everyone needs to be practicing. Is there anything else you'd like to leave them with? Um, yeah, yeah, my brain is going in two different directions, but I'll, uh, let's go back to the reactive creative for a minute because Understanding that there, there are these two forces within us. The reactive is kind of more the animal habitual survival mechanism. The creative is, you know, our higher consciousness, our, our emergent calling to, to, for interdependence and for 
generosity and compassion and kindness and that we're all in this together. Um, if, if one can remember um, how to distinguish between them, that would be like a really cool thing. And, and it's really simple. If you want to know whether you're coming from a reactive aspect, in other words, somebody saying something, if you want to know whether you're coming from reactive or creative, the most important you could think you can ask yourself is, what am I feeling right now? Yes. If the feeling is pressure, stress, anxiety, threat, shyness, whatever it is that's kind of like contracting you, you mm-hmm. work reactive self. Yes, yes. And if you're in your reactive self, pause. Don't respond. Just pause. Take deep breath. Deep from like your, you know, from your belly, from your diaphragm. Fill your belly and release. And do that five times to deactivate the amygdala. To that's have cool. Amygdala. They have to close here. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. That, that is such great advice, though. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Thank you so much, Ronit. You've been yes. an absolute joy to talk to, and we'll look forward to co-creating with you. And Thank you. I look forward to it as well. And thank you for having me in... Uh, Blessings to all of you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.